Hey everyone, welcome to Operations, the show where we look under the hood of companies in hypergrowth. My name is Sean Lane. Product-led growth, or PLG, is about as buzzwordy a buzzword as you can find right now. And here I am on a podcast talking about it. If you haven't heard of it before, product-led growth typically refers to a motion where a user finds and tries a new product or a solution on their own, and hopefully, after a positive experience with that product, the usage by that individual or by that individual's company expands. So am I just adding to the PLG noise? I'd like to think that there's something behind the fluff of the acronym. And contrary to what some might say, it might not be the silver bullet solution for everyone. So what does it take to actually run a real PLG motion at scale? For the answers, we're turning to one of the most successful PLG companies you can find, Slack. Our guest today is Namrita Ram, Slack's VP of Sales Operations and Strategy. And I can promise you that Namrita knows this motion cold. In our conversation, she teaches me why scale and retention are the two foundational ingredients for PLG, when humans should and should not get involved in PLG motions, and if you stick around, you might be surprised to hear why Namrita says you shouldn't be overly reliant on PLG itself. Let's start with that all-important question though. How do you know if you have an appropriate PLG use case at your company in the first place? The PLG motion is just not, it's not just, okay, having online usage or having some online users sign up for your product and that's it and that's PLG. I think that you need to start seeing a certain amount of scale virality as well as retention. So scale in the sense that you are seeing, um, you know, massive growth and massive number of users in the millions signing up and going through that same product experience and then sticking on and continuing to use the product and champion the product further. I think that, um, you know, a lot of companies talk about PLG and product-led growth, but the, the scale uh, as well as the retention of their, their PLG momentum varies from company to company. Right? And a lot of companies have some amount of excitement that happens organically, but um, there are very, very few companies that have seen it at like mass scale um, with like millions and millions of users signing up um, by themselves and opting into the product. And so I think that it really varies, Sean. And, and I think that, you know, would obviously love to get your um, take on it as well with, with Drift and how you think about it. But um, I think that there, it's a very exciting time where users, savvy users, are now willing to go in, give new products a shot. And if it is truly delighting them, then you are seeing massive scale as well as retention. So... Namrata's two key ingredients for a successful PLG motion are scale and retention. And if you think about the design of these customer journeys, it's so impressive when a company gets that delightful experience right across millions of users, which is why I was so excited to talk to her. That delightful experience doesn't happen by accident. So I wanted to know from inside of Slack, how she went about operationalizing a PLG motion for millions of users. And in her role, it was about leveraging momentum that was already happening to find additional growth. 
there is this function within most PLG companies called as the growth function, whose fundamental role is to think about how to bring more users onto their website and get them to sign up and start using that product and start seeing the value from that product. And that's typically the growth function. And now as a RevOps leader um, within Slack, it's my focus is about how do we leverage that initial momentum and scale that out through the sales team. And so that is a very different motion than the first one where you're constantly thinking about what are the different levers that you can get use to get more people on board mm. um, as well as get them to stay and continue to interact and spread the word. So how do you make that call, right? Like, so you're looking to figure out how do I leverage what I've already seen in terms of signups to expand usage, right? As you put it. And so how do you decide, okay, this is a scenario where I do think sales should get involved. A human being on the sales team should get involved versus I should, you know, let the, you know, the, the PLG touchless, you know, lack of human motion yeah. kind of run its course. Yeah, Sean, I think that's a really interesting question. And it's a very hotly debated topic mm. in most PLG companies. Should we have sales touch this or not? And what's this true incrementality from sales mean? I think in the PLG motion, there are, um, you know, really a few things that can be that sales can do. Okay. One, you typically see them being able to upgrade from like, you know, a starter skew to a more advanced skew because they're able to upsell the different product features that uh, a specific um, offering is, uh, is uh, you know, gives to the customers. Um, that's one piece. The second piece is expansion. So you could see maybe a few engineers using the product and then going to the product leader uh, or the engineering leader and saying, hey, your whole team can use this product because you're starting to see value within this cohort is another sort of uh, typical use case. And then of course, the other piece is cross-selling another completely different product into this, um, uh, this specific set of users, right? So third one is less, I would say, um, less common. The first two are pretty common, and that's where I think sales can really sort of come in and drive that um, that uh, sort of uh, movement in the customer maturity. Where they actually decide to go after, um, you know, uh, these specific customers is really dependent on, you know, the TAM within the customer, right? So below 100 users, what you typically see is that for the most part, within self-serve, you can organically get to that 100. Maybe there was an opportunity to do a revenue pull forward and then get that 100 users sooner. But for the most part, they will likely get to that 100 pretty, pretty easily, right? But beyond 100 users, I think that this is where the power of sales can really come in to say, hey, we can expand this to a much larger use case and we can enable a full-scale rollout and so that's where you start to see a lot of, you know, sales assisted motions jump in and try to help customers expand the organic product usage to a more deliberate product rollout. Okay, let's pause here for a minute. Namrata has given us three different potential sales levers after that initial user finds your product. One, 
feature upgrades, which is typically moving from one product plan to another, two, user expansion, which is usually more seats, and three, cross-sell. They've got one product and you're gonna sell them another. And if you're trying to walk the fine line between product-led and rep-assisted, her recommendation is that we draw that line at 100 users. And look, all that sounds amazing. And if you've got the perfect funnel set up to build a self-sustaining engine that way, congratulations, do it. But realistically, there's probably some blend of inbound and outbound efforts going on here, even in a PLG motion. So how do we reconcile these different types of efforts with PLG? Yeah, that's a really important, um, you know, question for a lot of RevOps leaders as they debate this. And I think PLG kind of blurs the lines between inbound and outbound, and I'll tell you why. Uh, I think when most companies first have, they have the PLG, um, they see massive product-led growth and they decide to add some salespeople. There are really three phases of sort of sales evolution. The first phase is there's so much low-hanging fruit, people are just raising their hand and saying, yep, I want more. Okay, in that case, it's almost like an inbound motion, right? Sure, they're not signing up in a contact as or through going through Drift to, to ask for more product, but it is a situation where they are, you know, saying they're ready to buy and they're further along in that decision-making. They're in that decision-making process already. They have gone through consideration by themselves and they're already ready to buy. So in that case, it's very much, the first phase is very much like picking off the low-hanging fruit and doing um, inbound. The second phase is when that low-hanging food is done, and but there are still a lot of users that are seeing a lot of value. So in that situation, it really is about how do you leverage that interest that sits within the pool and then take all the use cases and the value that is being delivered and being able to tell a story to the decision maker such that you're able to enable an expansion or an upgrade to a different SKU, right? And that is... Uh, that is not pure outbound where in the sense that it's not, they're not, they, they're familiar with the product and there's already usage, but it all, it is a representation of, you know, going one step further where you're up-leveling the conversation and you are truly making a sale and they're further behind in trying to consider whether they should expand the sale. They're not already in the decision-making phase, right? So mm -hmm. that's the, the second phase. And the third phase, and a lot of PLG companies that have seen amazing product-led growth have potentially not invested in this sooner is when they go truly outbound, right? And the reason for this is that going truly outbound oftentimes uh, requires a lot of effort and a very different set of tactics, especially for workflow-related products where mm -hmm. it's not apparent and it's difficult to describe the value to a cold user who has not used it. You have to use things like trials and highly discounted uh, offers to really get people bought in and do more of a top-down sale, right? So that's the third phase, which is like pure outbound. And so I think that you will see different phases of um, of, of, of this uh, evolution go happen as you are in a PLG company and working through adding sales to um, a specific, uh, to, to your business model, basically. Super helpful. So, so I want to dig into a couple of those a little bit more with you. So the first one I think is pretty clear, right? The low-hanging fruit, pure inbound, reacting to demand, following up and, and getting a sale, right? The, the second bucket is really interesting where you're kind of leveraging 
some of the interest that you see, but it's probably only a fraction of what could potentially be captured or, or be, you know, right. that full TAM that you were describing. Right. There is so much data. There's so many signals. I would imagine that if you're a rep at Slack, you've got all this different stuff coming at you. How do you in operations kind of help find the signal in the noise when, when we're kind of dealing with that second bucket? Yeah, I think it's a really good question, Sean. I think that that is something that a lot of um, companies out there should really invest in and really understanding the signals, but also understanding the signals that matter the most. Mm. Uh, because I think that you what you will find is there are a few signals or a handful of signals that are most correlated to conversion uh, of, uh, of um, you know, a larger purchase or conversion from free to paid, whichever one that is. I think that there are there is a lot of data science and there's a lot of analysis that needs to be done to figure out what exactly that signal is. And once you are able to leverage that signal, then finding a way to easily make that accessible to the sales teams is the second step. And once you've done that, and the way that you do that is to pull it into Salesforce, is to pull it into their CRMs. So right next to the account object, they are able to see hey, this is a pretty um, juicy account. Like there's a lot of usage here, so let's prioritize it. And so, then, so that brings me to the third step, which is really about you know, institutionalizing prioritization mm. uh, through this mechanism or through this scoring model that has potentially been you know, um, rolled out to them, right? So those are the three steps of really being able to um, leverage the data and the way that you want for prioritization, right? So that's one use case. The other use case could also be about how do you tell a value story once you get to the customers? You have a treasure trove of data where they're using this, they're getting value. There, there are like so many customer interviews and user interviews that you can do. So being able to leverage that data to tell the, to showcase the value that is already being delivered is another way to utilize this. And I think that's another piece that um, is so important, which I think not that many companies out there are using this the way they should be to really be able to be able to tell that story. And the thing I love about that, too, is you're basically removing any of the emotion or subjectivity from the conversation, yes. right? You're not convincing someone, hey, you know, this feature is going to make your life better. It's it's no, this is already what's happening with the users who are buying this thing or using this product. And this is a fraction of what the potential could be. I, I yeah. think in addition to, you know, it just being more compelling, I think that's what more senior buyers are going to react more positively to. Is that what you found to be the case? I think you're absolutely right, Sean. So um, when they see the usage actually happen and right. when they see the value actually come through, it is, it is, um, it is a pretty game changing case, business case to make. Right. And, um, one of the things that a, a lot of times, you know, um, sales teams within PLG companies don't realize is that there's oftentimes a, a pretty big rift between the actual value that is being delivered hmm. and the perceived value that the decision makers have. The decision makers may only see like, oh, they're these guys just it's just these guys and gals are just using the product 
and they're just using, I don't know, I don't necessarily know what they're doing with it. Uh, but the, if you talk to the users, they absolutely love it and they can't manage without it, right? So oftentimes there is this, this gap that exists. So, and as a salesperson, it is, it is about being able to tell a story with this data and really bridge that gap to say, this is the actual value that is being delivered by the product. And for the decision makers to then understand and realize that this is truly game-changing for the users in their team or the users in their function. The treasure trove of data that is available in a PLG motion isn't just for making the product adoption paths easier. That same treasure trove can and should be used for rep-assisted sales as well. Follow the recipe that Namrita has outlined. Identify the handful of signals that lead to buying decisions, make those signals accessible, and institutionalize prioritization. When you let the data tell the story for you, as she points out, it will do a better job than any sales or marketing speak possibly could. I want to dig in a bit more on this idea of institutionalizing prioritization. From the sounds of things, the team at Slack has really helped the internal teams to grease the wheels on where they should spend their time most effectively. So what type of work went into building that rigorous prioritization? What we've done is we've uh, we've created a scoring methodology, what we call as the growth potential score, which essentially is, um, you know, an expected value calculation. So it looks at, you know, the TAM within the account and then applies the probability of being able to capture the TAM within the account. And the probability of being able to capture the TAM within the account is dependent on the product signals that uh, that that the that is being showcased within that account uh, in the self-serve pool. Um, and the signals that actually most matter. Like, for example, we see the growth in number of users, messages sent. So, so a lot of these different kinds of signals matter a lot more than some of the other pieces that uh, you would expect in, in terms of usage. And I would imagine if you're a rep, that that makes that value conversation that much easier, right? Because now you know that you're armed with not just data, but the right data to go into those conversations and say, this is where I've seen folks succeed before. This is how you all are doing. And this yes. is why I think you have this much more potential. Yes, absolutely. And I think that this brings brings us to a really good point that we were discussing the other day, which was about, it's not just the score because that's a bit opaque, right? Mm. Um, uh, it's also about adding an additional component. So we provide the score, but we also showcase the signals that matter the most. Because in some ways, the algorithm is solving for, or the scoring methodology is solving is solving for the masses, right? It's mm. like highest probability, most likely to, for this to happen. But of course, the rep has additional intelligence that they can use that's outside of this that they can leverage to, to make a decision on it. So as we roll out the scoring, it's not a mandate to prioritize based on this, but it is like, you know, if it is, it is highly encouraged to do use this and not just the scoring methodology, but also look at some of the most important subcomponents to help prioritize their accounts. Because we understand that when you are calculating everything, you know, and you're using large numbers to estimate different things, the precision on an account level may not be perfect. And so, yes, it's a, it's, it's a good, like sort of guiding methodology to help you understand this is likely to be a, a good account. But then, of course, the rep is the one should that should have the intelligence to help even further prioritize. 
And I think there's definitely like, what I'm hearing you say is there's some art and science to this, right? Exactly. As you bring these things exactly. together. Yeah. yeah. The thing that I think is really hard, right, is you said you institutionalize prioritization, right? And so getting everyone kind of on the same page about why we prioritize this way, what are the signals that lead us to prioritize in this way, and then yeah. what you do with it, right? Like those, that's a, that's a hard journey to complete to get everybody yes. kind of on the same page. And I think one of the things that makes it even harder is once somebody has, you know, kind of their favorite signal, then they yes. want that to be the one that everybody uses. And all of a sudden you, you go from these are the top one or two most important signals to 17 signals. So how have you avoided that so it doesn't get so noisy for reps that they just eventually ignore them altogether? Yeah, I think that uh, <laughs> that's, that's always a hard thing to do. Repetition and uh, data is the two ways that we end up doing that, right? Reinforcing why, the why behind this, and also re-showcasing the high correlation between these signals and outcomes mm. are, um, are the, is the way that we continue to reinforce it. Now, I'm sure that there are a bunch of AEs within Slack that are deciding to use some of their other signals to prioritize, but at least what we have out there is we made GPS extremely prominent uh, in in their prioritization um, dashboards and in within Salesforce, and during we go through a process where we do prioritization, where we are looking at what is uh, what is the quota, and then essentially estimating you know which are the accounts that are potentially going to help them get there. Mm. During that process, we are showcasing and putting the spotlight on GPS as one of the key components to prioritize. But of course, there, like you mentioned before, there's, 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 um, you know, we can't, we can't claim to have 100% precision here. So, uh, we do uh, expect, and we are accepting of AEs adding and augmenting this intelligence with other signals that they have experience with to, um, to add to this. The other thing that we do do is also get feedback from them, right? What is working, what's not, and I think that having an iterative process is so important because oftentimes things change and. You could be, you know, when you are running the correlation analysis, if you're not looking at a specific signal, then that doesn't show up in your data set, right? So you have to make sure that you are including all these different signals and um, getting input and feedback uh, and continuously evolving the scoring methodology as well. Okay, I know GPS stands for growth potential score here, but I can't help but think that it's actually a GPS with the roadmap for a rep to hit their quota. Namrata and the Slack team are not only providing the score, but more importantly, the reasons behind the score and opening the door for future iterations of feedback. Now, Maritza also taught me that they align the timing with which they refresh this op score with the same timing about every six months that they ask the sales organization to map and reprioritize their accounts. So with all of this experience at Slack, where can Namrita help the rest of us from failing when it comes to PLG? What's her advice? Turns out it's about not overly relying on PLG itself. I think that, um, you know, the, the PLG uh, motion is uh, both, can sometimes be both a blessing and a curse. Um, I think that uh, with, with the strong usage and the strong momentum, especially if you have a strong PLG motion, comes with this potentially an over-reliance on existing usage. Uh, or uh, or the or, or basically like sticking to the outreach within the pool is the primary way to get to prospect. 
Um, and so that can happen. And I have seen that happen a lot, right? So um, I think what is good for a lot of companies to do is understand that, yes, this is where that they should really invest and double down on in terms of really leveraging and expanding customer base because this is the lowest hanging fruit or the, this is the path of least resistance. But they should also augment this with some sort of a pilot or some sort of emotion that is pure outbound mm. and you're hiring the right talent there that has done pure outbound and not relied on PLG because that's the thing, you know, all the, the startups hire from the other startups that have also seen PLG and so they're all relying on PLG and they haven't done pure outbound yet, right? So it's a special kind of persona, the special kind of a patience that comes with uh, pure outbound motion. And I think that if I've, uh, you know, if I've learned anything from this is that I would um, just as much as, you know, doubling down and leveraging the PLG motion in parallel, try and build that muscle around pure outbound uh, outreaches, because that is going to, you know, provide uh, you with a lot of optionality as you scale. Before we go, at the end of each show, we're going to ask each guest the same lightning round of questions. Ready? Here we go. Best book you've read in the last six months. Best book I have read in the last six months. I would say um, I have really been listening in, listening to an audiobook that I really enjoy, um, and it's called Influence. Have you heard of that? Um, no. And so that is one of my top uh, top books that I've not read, but I've listened to. Um, and my auditory retention is a lot better, so I, I tend to listen to things uh, to the extent that I can. Um, so I really like that book, and that's my favorite one. All right. Uh, favorite part about working in ops? The data. I love data. I love the insights. Uh, I'm sure, Sean, you will, you will, you can empathize with me. As soon as you see the results and you see the graph in a table, it just makes me so happy um, <laughs> to be able to look at the data and to be able to glean insights from it. Uh, that's me. I'm a data geek. I love that. So flip side, though least favorite part about working in ops the least favorite is um is basically having to prioritize constantly because i think uh that there are so many things that come at you all the time and your your mind share is fragmented in so many different ways uh so really being able to like ruthlessly prioritize is so important but it's also the most challenging part because, you know, you are letting some stakeholder down. You're not addressing some piece of work that needs to get done. So I think that that is, um, that is the hardest part. The fact that there's always a thousand things coming at us and it's all urgent. Um, so that's, uh, that's the, probably my least favorite part. Someone who impacted you getting to the job you have today. <sighs> my husband. Um, I think that he is a constant supporter, a constant cheerleader, uh, and someone who has believed in me right from the get-go. Um, and I um, owe a lot to him. And uh, I really enjoy uh, my professional life because I'm able to discuss a lot of these things with him. And he listens to me, gives advice, and is a great mentor as well. That's awesome. That's a great answer. I'm not sure we've had too many people say they're significant other before. That's great. Uh, all right, last one. One piece of advice for people who want to have your job someday. Yeah, uh, my advice would be to um, be open to 
feedback and learning. Uh, I think that that it has gotten me far um, because I have been open to getting a lot of feedback and open to constantly iterating on my approach, how I solve problems, how I approach things, how I how I how my leadership um, perspective and approaches as well. I think that it is a journey where you're constantly learning. And um, I continue to seek out opportunities to learn and grow as well. So I think that um, for all of us, it's it's always good to be open to feedback, get that feedback and um, learn and adapt. Thanks so much to Namrata for joining us on this week's episode of Operations. If you liked what you heard, make sure you are subscribed to our show so a new episode can show up in your feed every other Friday. Also, if you've learned something today or from any of our episodes, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps other people to find the show. Six star reviews only. All right, that's gonna do it for me. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.